ordinary people empowered by the Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus. This is the Acts of the Apostles. For more information, go to carolinesprings.church. I thought it would be a good opportunity for us just to recap the last six months, all right? So I got a 10-point sermon this morning for you. And um, you guys excited? Hey, a 10-point sermon is better than a pointless sermon, all right? i got two kids. I'm allowed to make jokes like that. All right, so, but 10 points, and I'm just going to be taking us really through what I see uh, as being the major landmarks that we've seen along the way, and they're just going to be real brief, okay? So we're going to be jumping around in the text, obviously, from uh, chapter 1 through the chapter 28, and um, so I'll be reading the text for you. Uh, if you want to, you can pick up a Bible and follow through, but I'm going to be moving pretty quickly, so you might just like to relax, as Jimmy said. Uh, It's a good time of the year just to remember that we can rest in Jesus. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. That's our Christmas gift to you. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll we'll jump into the book of Acts. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. You have led us every single week through this great book. The last six months, Lord, um, whether the, the... the church was in a good season or not, whether the preachers were in a good season or not, you are faithful. You've been speaking every week. And we thank you for this book. It's a great encouragement to us. Lord, we acknowledge this morning that we are ordinary people, but that you have empowered us with your spirit to witness to our great Lord Jesus. So we pray that uh, you would help me to do that now, uh, to witness faithfully to him, and that you would take us and use us to witness to him. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, some of you know that uh, I was saved as a 19-year-old. I was living in the U.S. at the time, and um, I was saved into a context which was kind of weird for me. I had grown up in the church, but I didn't have much uh, real experience of um, really of Christian life in general, and certainly not experience of Uh, anything supernatural. And I got saved into a very weird context where um, in the space of a couple of weeks I had nearly died, had then been healed uh, on the laying on of hands. Um, I had become a Christian um, and then witnessed over the next couple of weeks weird stuff. Matt, really, it was kind of the combination of um, amazing conversions of a bunch of uh, kids out of the ghetto in Pittsburgh uh, who had grown up in in terrible situations, um, combined with weird, really just manifestations of demonic activity, like full-on, in-your-face, Book of Acts type stuff. And so I was saved into that context, and then the problem with that was that for the next couple of years, my my, all of my attention was absorbed in that kind of thing, that kind of weird, supernatural, um, demonic stuff. I got really drawn into it, to, actually to the exclusion of the more important things that new Christians need to learn about, you know, the essence of the gospel. And it wasn't that those things were bad, they were, they were instrumental in bringing me to faith. Those strange 
experiences were instrumental in bringing me to faith, but they also drew my attention away from the most important aspect of my faith. And I think the same thing can happen when we read the book of Acts. For some of us, we read the book of Acts, we, we read these incredible things that happen, miraculous things that happen, and our attention is drawn towards those things to the exclusion of the most important things, the main themes in the book of Acts, which have less to do with those extraordinary experiences and more to do with witnessing to the Lordship of Jesus. So we said from the beginning, and I hope you've seen this, I think we got it right actually, by God's grace, I I hope you've seen this emerge over the last six months, that the main theme of the book of Acts is this. We we kind of put it as a a meta-theme over the whole Um, over the whole series, it is that the book of Acts is about ordinary people empowered by the Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus. And we want to make that really clear because it's easy to read the book of Acts, to read the Acts of the Apostles and to get so drawn into the Acts themselves or into the worship of the Apostles that we forget that these were just ordinary people. Regular Christians like you and me. The extraordinary thing about them was that they were empowered by the Spirit. And the mission that the Spirit gave them was to witness to the Lordship of Jesus. Remember, the book begins with Jesus ascending to the right hand of God. That's the image that we need to have in mind as we see all of the things that happen, all of these extraordinary occurrences. We need to remember this book started with Jesus on the throne and it ends with Jesus on the throne. At no point is Jesus off the throne. And so our focus, our attention, just like it was for the apostles, ought to be on Jesus. Ordinary people, empowered by the Spirit, to witness to the Lord Jesus. Now I want to show us, just by way of recap, as I said, I want to show us just how much that theme has emerged over these past six months. And I want to do it through just isolating ten points, 10 passages uh, that speak to this meta-theme of witnessing to the Lord Jesus, all right? So, if you're keen, pick up a Bible, flick around. If not, just settle back, relax. Uh, I've tried to make the passages look pretty, so you might remember them if you look at them on the screen. But we'll start with point number one, all right? Ready to go? Come on. Number one. (laughs) I'm going to try that again later. All right, number one, the witness is to the Lord Jesus. Seems elementary, but it's super important. If we're going to understand the book of Acts, the witness that the apostles, the early Christians were called to bear witness to, that witness is to the Lord Jesus. So in chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter makes an absolutely astonishing claim. We lose the astonishment because we're so familiar with it, but it is an astonishing claim in context, all right? Chapter 4, verse 12, he says to all who are listening, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no one else. There is no other name. 
no one else, no other name, only Jesus. I found it fascinating this year. I was reading a book earlier in the year by Luke Ferry. He's a French philosopher, an atheist, but he's written this really good introduction to philosophy called uh, A Brief History of Thought, I think it's called. And in it, at the beginning, he says, he makes a big claim. He says, all of human history and all of our philosophical endeavor has been, has been, um, has been given to the, to the quest for one thing. And he says, that quest is for salvation. All of human history, all of philosophical endeavor, all of our thinking and rumination and writing and, and effort has been, has been given in order to answer the question, how must I be saved? And he goes from early Greek thought to, to, uh, with the cynics and with uh, um, uh, the other guys. Um, irrespective of, of, the, of, of how they thought and irrespective of the answer that they came to, he says they're all chasing the same uh, question, which is how can I be saved? It is a question of salvation. It's a question of how, how do we deal with the inevitability of our own death? How are we saved from that inevitability? And Peter steps onto the stage of human history and he says the answer to all of your Yearnings, the answer to all of your longings, the answer to all of your philosophical endeavor is Jesus. There is no other name by which we must be saved. Now, if he's right, Professor Ferry, if he's right, and I think he is, and the thing that unites humans through all of history and across all cultures is this sense that we need to be saved, then you yourself are here this morning in that situation. Whether you've thought about it long and hard or not, you find yourself in that situation. How am I going to be saved? You've come to the conclusion, like everyone else in this room, after watching the news for 30 minutes, that the world is broken. And maybe you've done enough thinking to come to the right conclusion that you are broken. And so the reality is that we need to be saved, not just from the world around us, but from ourselves. And Peter stands up and boldly proclaims that salvation is found in no one but Jesus. This is who we witness to. This is our Lord, God, King and Christ. He's the answer. And in about 30 minutes, I'm going to invite you to stand up, to come forward, and to express your desire to accept the salvation that he freely offers. That's point number one. Number two, the witness is worldwide. Chapter 1, this is right from the beginning. This is when Jesus is still with them. He's risen from the dead before his ascension. Luke records this. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, not a ghost, not an apparition, eating breakfast with them, all right? So legitimate, resurrected Jesus. He was eating with them. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, 
which you have heard me speak about. From John the ba- for John the Baptist, for John, that's the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to ret- restore the kingdom to Israel? <clears throat> he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The witness is worldwide. This is a global movement that began in this chapter. It began with 12 guys, with a small group of disciples, maybe a hundred. And it, and it, and it grew exponentially. We see the growth, don't we, throughout the book of Acts. And, we, and, and Luke follows it from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We come to today to chapter 28, and Paul is in Rome, at the center of the world at that time. We know from, from uh, historical sources, and there's some hints in the text as well, that Paul probably went on from Rome to Spain, as he planned to do the very ends of the earth as they knew it before returning to Rome to be executed. And now we see today, I mean, we just look out here and we see so many different cultures, so many different tribes, tongues, nations in this room, in Caroline Springs, at the bottom of Australia, at the very ends of the earth, all right? It happened. How many movements have had that kind of expansion? Jesus promised that his message was a global message. Think about this in context. These guys, all of them Jewish, were limited in their understanding to God's salvation being for their people. I thank you, Lord, that I'm a Jew, for we alone have access as God's people. And then Jesus dies, the curtain is torn in two, and all people are ushered in to the kingdom of God. The message is global. Praise Jesus for that. That's why we've got so much color in the room this morning. One, two, three. The witness is inclusive. All right, chapter 10, verse 34 to 40. Remember, this is... Peter at Cornelius' house. Peter, as I just described, thought that salvation was for the Jews. He didn't get it, that things had blown open since Jesus' death, that this was now a global mission to all people. And so God gave him this vision, remember, of, the, of, the, of a sort of blanket being lowered down with every kind of animal on it. And the point of the vision was that salvation was now for all people. It was an inclusive message. And so he gets it and he stands up in verse 34 and he says this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout 
the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. This is Peter preaching to a global audience. This is one of the most profound happenings in human history. The reason that you and I are here this morning is because of this truth. The witness is a global witness. And so our mission as a church is a global, or we like to say, coin the phrase, global. Because it's not only overseas. It's not just to the deepest, darkest parts of Africa. It's also to your next door neighbor. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Jerusalem's included, right? Your hometown's included. There might have been a time when we in the West were given the responsibility to take the gospel to the pagan nations of the earth. But now, my friends, things have been turned upside down. And it is not long until you see the first African-Asian missionaries coming to Caroline Springs. Praise the Lord. Bring them. So the witness is to the Lord Jesus. It's worldwide. It's inclusive of all people. And by the way, that's not just all people of all nations, but all kinds of people. All sorts of people. I met this guy just the other day. He's house-sitting the house next door to ours. So when he turned up, I went over and said hello and shook his hand and chatted for a little while. And a few minutes later, I was walking back to my house thinking, that guy's never going to be saved. After a few minutes of talking to him, I think he swore a few times. Shame on me. It's been too long since I was 19. No one is beyond God's reach. Remember Paul says that in Acts 17? The truth is that no one is far from him, he says. No one is far from him. Number four, witnessing can be dangerous. How much is this a pattern throughout the last six months? Witnessing, it can be dangerous. Chapter 14, verse 19 to 22. says this. Some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came and went over the crowd. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, he says. And how well did he know it? He knew the persecution of Christians from without and from within. As Saul, he persecuted Christians. As the converted Paul, he was persecuted as a Christian. 
and we've talked about this at length, there are people, many people around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. It is fact that Christians are the most persecuted people group in the world today. So let's not just say, yeah, it was like that then. No, it's like it now much more than it was then. Most of us aren't going to experience that, but we are going to experience the kind of persecution that many of us fear more than stonings and beatings. And that is the persecution of ostracism, right? A fate worse than death is to be excluded by my friends, co-workers, schoolmates. I can honestly say at times in my life I would rather take a beating than be excluded. But Paul says we must go through many persecutions to enter the kingdom of God. He says to Timothy in his letter to him, everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the only question for us to ask ourselves is, if we're not being persecuted, are we really living a godly life? Are we really in Christ Jesus? This book is all about witnessing to the Lord Jesus. And we saw from the beginning, remember, the word witness in the Koine Greek that this text is written in, the word witness is the word matareo, which is where we get the word martyr. To witness is to be a martyr. The reason that word became popularized in the sense of someone being killed is because so many people who witnessed to Jesus were killed. They became to mean the same thing. If you're going to witness to him, you're going to get killed. Again, that may not be the situation we face, but we, we may not see the death of our body, but we may see the death of our social networks or our opportunities to climb the ladder or whatever. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to be martyrs. Number five, the witness is powered by the Spirit. Praise the Lord. The witness is powered not by your competency or your EQ or your good looks or your ability to flirt and convert, all right? That, that's not what's powering the witness. The witness is powered by the Spirit. So we see in chapter 2, Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on, on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And then, from then on, 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 throughout the book we've seen people converted, baptized, and filled with the Spirit. Why? To make them feel good? No. To empower them to witness to the Lord Jesus. And it feels really good. I think it was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who said that being a Christian is like walking down the street holding your father's hand. You know he loves you. You know he's with you. You know he's protecting you. 
but to be baptised in the Spirit is the experience of being picked up and embraced by your Father. Every Christian in this room received the Spirit when they became a Christian. They were baptised into the Spirit, immersed into the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. But Paul will say throughout his letters, be filled with the Spirit. So it it's happens concurrently with our conversion, and then it's an ongoing process. Something that we need to ask for regularly. Like, I don't know, every day? How quickly do you leak the Spirit? It's pretty quick for me. So the witness is empowered by the Spirit. This ought to be the greatest encouragement we can have. Why should I not discount the guy who I met the other day who's house-sitting the place next to us as being too far beyond God's reach? As being someone who's probably not going to respond to my sharing the good news with him? The reason I should be encouraged to share the gospel with him is because when I do, the Spirit speaks to him. Every time you open your mouth to witness to the Lord Jesus, the Spirit is at work. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. How can we, man, how can we doubt in the face of that? So ask God to fill you with his spirit and then get to work. Number six, the witness is with words and works. Is some of this seeming familiar if you've been around the last six months? Right, we've been talking about this for a while. Hopefully you're like, yeah, I know this. That would be a win. The witness is with words and works, all right? You you could just open the book randomly and find something that would make this point. But I'm going to chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. All right? Works and words. Words and works. Signs and wonders, and then when they met together in the colonnade, that's where they do their Bible study. That's where they share the gospel with one another and those around them. And you see this throughout. It's just, it's totally a thread that goes straight through the middle of this book. Words and works. Communicate the gospel, the, the, the truth of the lordship of the risen, reigning, ruling Lord Jesus. And then watch what happens. Conversions happen. Healings happen. Signs and wonders happen. And yes, I believe... These things happened with more frequency at the birth of the church and in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, but they happen today. And we ought to be looking for them. We ought to be trusting that God will perform them. What are our words? Our words are the words of the gospel. We need, as Jimmy has told us several times, to be fluent in the gospel. And you have to be able to speak the gospel into every context. The conversation that you have with the barista on Monday morning, you ought to have a gospel interpretation of that conversation. That's what being fluent 
in the gospel means. And so we have our gospel words. We also have our gospel works. We want to be praying for demonstrations of God's power to be evidence of his lordship. So the crazy stuff that happened to me when I became a Christian, they were demonstrations of God's power that gave evidence of the reality of the gospel. That's what these guys say over and over again. We came to you with words, we came to you with works. So ask yourself, what, what are these works? Not just miraculous works, but what are the good works that God has prepared in advance for me to walk in? What are the works that God has planned for me to do before the foundations of the earth? Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 10, right? What are those works? You don't want to be blind to them. You want to know what they are so that you can walk into each day going, here's, here's what God's got for me. Here are the words, here are the works that give evidence to the Lordship of Jesus. All right, number seven. The witnesses are ordinary and unlikely, and I love this. Have you ever thought about this? Just, like, think about the people that God has used in the Scriptures and throughout church history. All of them are ordinary, and all of them, just about, are unlikely. So in the book of Acts, you've got the first part mainly concerned with Peter's ministry, and the second part mainly concerned with Paul's ministry. Who was Peter? Well, a couple of months ago, he denied Jesus three times, right? Publicly denied him at his greatest point of need. That's a pretty unlikely hero. If you didn't know the sequel, if you only read Luke and you didn't know about Acts, you would pick up Acts and go, what? No way, not that guy, not that Judas. And then Paul, even more unlikely, right? The greatest hunter and persecutor of Christians. The guy who oversaw the stoning of Stephen. The guy who orchestrated a systematic imprisonment and execution of Christians is the hero of the second part of the book. That's, I was going to say insane, but it's God's story. So it can't be that. It's just so unlikely, right? And something we've wanted to say over and over again is that these are ordinary people. They do extraordinary things, but it's by the power of the Spirit. It's not by the power of anything within them. All they are is available and filled, filled with the Spirit. Kind of gives hope to you and me, right? Again, if you know yourself well enough, if you know how ordinary you are. I thought about this the other day. I had one of those moments where I made the mistake of um, just scrolling through Instagram for a long time. And I just put my phone down afterwards and thought, my life sucks, man. Like, my wife was, I can picture exactly what was happening. My wife was sitting on the couch with her foot elevated, having fractured it the other night. And I was trying to do both of our jobs. And I have a hard enough time with my job, which is this big. And then I've got her job, which is 10 times bigger. 
So I'm trying to do all that, and the kids are going mental. And so I, I had made the mistake of flicking through Instagram and seeing all your perfect lives, and then I thought, my life sucks. It, like, it legitimately sucks. And I know it's all fake, and you, you're putting filters on stuff and making it all look good, and it's not really, and you all hate your kids and stuff, but... But in that moment, I just thought, I'm, so, I'm just so... I'm just so ordinary. And, you, and then you... And then you contrast that with the extraordinary mission that God has given us as a church, right? We say that we exist to be a community of people helping people make all of life all about Jesus. And then all of life turns out to suck pretty bad. And so how do you reconcile that? How do you not just despair when you think about that, that juxtaposition? And the answer is, you remember that God has always, always, and will always Take ordinary people, empower them by the Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus. So Peter and Paul, they're both failures. But God uses them to do mighty things. He gives us some hope. Number eight, the witness is governed by God. Oh, some more encouragement. The witness is governed by God. There's someone in charge of this whole crazy thing that we've been reading through for the last six months. This whole crazy explosion of Christianity and the th- constant threats that people are under. And then in our own lives, our own wrestling up and down, peaks and valleys of the Christian life, all of it is governed by God. So in chapter 18, this is what we read. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. What did Jesus say? Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely... I am with you always to the end of the age. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth and for a year and a half he taught them the word of God. It goes on and on and on. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, these Jews who, are, who had come to kill Paul, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter among yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Why does he prevent them from assaulting Paul and not bat an eyelid when they beat up the synagogue leader? Because God is governing the mission. And God says, no, you can't kill Paul yet. You'll kill him later when I say you can kill him. 
over and over. They escape. Like this, if, if you read through Acts, and you should do it in one sitting if you can, it only takes, depending on how fast you read, a short amount of time. And it just reads like a thriller. Another book that reads like a thriller is this book, which you should buy. It's called Missionary to the New Hebrides. It's an autobiography by John G. Patton. He was a Scottish missionary who went to Vanuatu. was called the New Hebrides, now called Vanuatu. And he went there a few months after the first missionaries went to Vanuatu. They never came back because they were clubbed to death and eaten by the residents of Vanuatu. And so he went there with his new wife and child, both of whom died of, I think, dengue fever. He buried them on the beach. And he ministered to these people. He was an incredible witness to the Lord Jesus. And his witness took place almost under constant threat from the natives who were trying to kill him. He had one convert who did ministry with him. Everyone else pretty much wanted to eat him. And I pulled a couple of quotes from this book, which you really, really should get, all right? One of you can borrow mine. Pulled a couple of quotes from him. And this is from his diaries at the time. I'll read it because it's a bit small, all right? So from page 117, he says, My, my enemies seldom slackened their hateful designs against my life. However calmed or baffled for the moment, a wild chief followed me around for four hours with his loaded musket. It's a gun. And though often directed towards me, God restrained his hand. I spoke kindly to him and attended to my work as if he had not been there. How? Like, how, how do you do that when someone's got a loaded gun and when he looks at you, you morph into a roast chicken? Like, how do, how do you go about your ministry? It's crazy. I spoke too kindly to him and attended to my work as if he had not been there, fully persuaded that my God had placed me there and would protect me till my allotted task was finished. Looking up in unceasing prayer to our dear Lord Jesus, I left all in his hands and felt immortal till my work was done. Paul could say the same thing. We could say the same thing. God is governing the mission. Jesus says, not a sparrow falls from a tree apart from his will. I felt immortal till my work was done. That's how you preach the gospel with a gun pointed at you. Because you believe and you're fully persuaded that he can't pull the trigger until I'm done here. It becomes even more emphatic in the next quote, right? Page 207, my heart rose up to the Lord Jesus, and this is in the midst of him being hunted down by a mob, all right? My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus. I saw him watching all the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me was done. 
the assurance came to me as if a voice out of heaven had spoken, that not a musket would be fired to wound us, not a club prevailed to strike us, not a spear leave the hand in which it was being held vibrating to be thrown, not an arrow leave the bow or a killing stone the fingers without the permission of Jesus Christ, who is all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature, animate and inanimate, and restrains even the savage of the South Seas. God governs the witness. Just get so many chills when I read that stuff. All right, number nine, I'm running out of time. The witness continues today. The witness continues today, my friends. And we've come to the very last chapter and the last verses of the book of Acts. And for some people, the book of Acts ends in the most unsatisfying way because Luke finishes up and Paul's in prison and we don't know what's going to happen to him and we don't ever find out from him. And it's not like this isn't Google Docs time, right? So he can't down the line find out that Paul went to Spain and then well, he came back and then he got martyred and just upload a revision, right? You know, he's written this at the time. It's a historical document and we don't get to find out what happens. But Luke does very deliberately finish with these verses. Verse 30 and 31. For two whole years Paul stayed there in Rome in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to him he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And he wants to leave it there because he wants us to know that the preaching of the gospel will not be hindered. Whether Paul lives and dies is immaterial. The preaching of the gospel will not be hindered. Jesus said it this way, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you have read history at any level, you will marvel at the fact that Christianity has survived to this point. That the scriptures as we have them have survived to this point. It is crazy unless God is governing the mission and unless he is guaranteeing that the gospel won't be hindered. So this witness that was the apostles and the, the belonged to the early church belongs to us as well in the very same way. It's the same message. So, the witness is timeless, but the methods are timely. In Paul's case, he went from synagogue to synagogue, he went to the Areopagus, he went to the great halls of philosophy, he went to prison, for us, it's going to be different. It's going to be on the floor with the kids. It's going to be at the boardroom table. It's going to be in the cafe. So the methods and the context changes, but the message is timeless. We witness to the Lord Jesus just as they did, and we will see, we will see that because God is governing the mission, that ministry will continue unhindered. So the acts have finished.
but the action continues. And I'd leave it there, except that this morning I really felt that God was leading me to add one thing and to invite you into one, one more thing. So point number 10 is this. The witness calls for a response. It would be the worst thing in the world for us to do six months in the book of Acts and never ask for a definitive response. So here's how it goes in chapter 2. Peter stands up and he's preaching and he says, Therefore let all Israel, verse 36, be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's who we're witnessing to. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. The Lord our God, because He's gracious and merciful, because the witness is global and inclusive, is calling us to respond. If the Spirit has been merciful and gracious to us this morning, this would have been more than a nice little lecture in the book of Acts. This would have been an opportunity for the Spirit to cut your heart open. That's what He does. That's what the Word of God does. It cuts to the heart and it causes us to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? That question that has been asked by every culture in human history. Where are we going to find our salvation? Where's the answer? The answer has been provided to you through the witness of ordinary people. The answer is the Lord Jesus. He died for you. He was raised for you. And now he calls you into his kingdom. A kingdom that will have no end. The right response for anyone who has been cut to the heart is to repent. Is to acknowledge that salvation is not found in me. To turn away from a life of worship of self and self-determination and self-consciousness and turn to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So as a church, we don't have a very rich history of inviting people to respond uh, to God's word in this way. But I want to do that this morning. I want us to give you space to respond. You might be a Christian, and this is your opportunity to once more repent and believe and be filled with the Spirit. You might be here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. And this morning, for the first time, it's become crystal clear that all of your longings have their end in Jesus. And we invite you to repent and believe 
and be filled with the Spirit. So we're going to do what we, what we normally do. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a few songs. We're going to take up a collection that funds the work of ministry here. But during this time, uh, the, your pastors will be down the front here. And, and we want to pray for you. Pray for you. Talk with you. Wrestle with some of this stuff. Everyone else is going to be singing. You don't need to be worried about being self-conscious or anything. We'll just be off to the side here. Uh, a few of us will be here. And we want to minister to you. So just as we transition into that time, as the band comes up to lead us, let me just pray for us. Let's pray together. Father, you've shown us over the last six months that we are a church of ordinary people, empowered by the Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus, just as the first church was. And so we thank you for your encouragement to us over these last six months. You've challenged us, you've convicted us, and you've empowered us. Now I pray for those who are here, for our children uh, in the other room, for those of us who couldn't make it this morning, I pray that you would continue to send us out as witnesses to the Lord Jesus. Lord, we believe that you are governing this mission that our lives are in your hands, that every time we open our mouths to testify to the Lord Jesus, that your spirit is at work. So give us great boldness. Father, I know that if we attempt to do this on our own, we will fail over and over again. But you've given us a family, a community of people, helping people make all of life all about Jesus. So please, use this church. Use this church to strengthen us and edify us and encourage us. And now we pray for this this moment that you've given us, these next few minutes. Lord, please stir up our affections for you so that we can praise you in spirit and in truth. And please, cut us to the heart and lead us to repentance and faith. We pray with confidence because we pray in the name of the risen Lord Jesus. Amen.